0: Love, talk radio. and welcome to the mid-major madness podcast my name is russ steinberg it is the first time we've done one of these in a couple of weeks and with the uh regular season winding down uh figured we'd get right back at it talk some ncaa tournament bracketing stuff as i know a lot of uh teams are starting to look at their at-large possibilities, starting to look at where they might be seated. So in order to do that, I am, of course, joined by Greg Mitchell and Chris Schutte, my co-editor and Good Take Haver. Chris has been updated to Good Take Haver. haver. And we are also joined by SB Nation resident bracketologist Chris Daverstein. How's everyone doing?
1: Not too bad. Pretty good. Good.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So let's uh, let's dive right into it, uh, Chris. I know you have a uh, a lot of requests to come on and do podcasts like this. This is going to be, I'd say, an interesting year putting a bracket together, yeah. to say the least, with what um, with what the bubble looks like. So just wondering if you could give us an idea as you put these projections together, what some of your biggest challenges have
1: been. Wow. Really the biggest thing is really separating the teams, say, from line seven down the line, 11, and then even further down into, you know, your first 12 teams that are out because there's really not much difference. I mean, you take a look at my Tuesday bracket where I had Providence who was I think my eleventh team out on Friday during my little bubble watch thing on SB Nation, and they were in the field in the first four on Tuesday, which just tells you how minuscule the margins are between you know probably the bottom twenty or thirty teams that are kind of in the picture right now.
0: Okay, so with with that slim flim margin, I, would it make sense then to say that you know looking at your latest projection, if you know you, your favorite team isn't in the first four out or the next four out, that doesn't necessarily mean that hope is lost for them at this point. That they could still work their way up.
1: No, not at all. Not with you know three or four games left in the regular season for for a lot of teams. There's there's still plenty of opportunities left. And then of course we get in the conference tournaments, and that's gonna just completely complicate things even more. Right.
0: Right. So, you know, we are the mid-major blog. We have a lot of people asking questions about what, you know, so-and-so team has to do in order to sneak onto the at-large, into the at-large picture. Um, I think right now the general consensus is that among mid-majors, Gonzaga's obviously in, St. Mary's is in, Dayton and VCU probably in a good position, Um wichita and illinois state maybe uh i know they're both kind of on the border and it would be you know obviously we expect one of those two teams to win the missouri valley tournament yeah but the other the team that doesn't you know they're gonna have a really good win loss record but not a lot of quality wins on there to speak of how hard is it to judge a team like say wichita state if they don't end up winning the valley
1: that that's going to be the really difficult thing because you know, we had that selection committee snake peek a couple of weeks ago now. And the one thing that I really kind of took from that was it seemed that quality wins were really a very important thing to the committee because if you look where Butler and Florida state were, were seated in particular. These are the, the two teams that I always seem to bring up in interviews because those are the teams that jumped out at me the most because they had a couple of bad losses, each of them, but they had a ton of top 50 wins. So, going further down and extrapolating down to around the cut line, that's something that worries me a little bit about the two Valley teams and that between them, they only have, you know, two top 50 wins and they're against each other. So somebody, if both make the final of Arch Madness, somebody's going to have two top 50 wins and they're both going to be against either Wichita state or Illinois state. And I'm not sure that's going to be enough for this particular committee. Now, on the Shockers' side of things, I think one thing that could help them is there's probably some holdovers on the committee from last year when they got in based on their Ken Pond numbers really, you know, kind of pushing them over the finish line. And, you know, if those same committee members are still around and, and can still kind of make that case, I think that might make things a little bit better for the Shockers if they end up losing the Arch Madness final. But I, I would not feel confident about a two-big valley at this point. Wow. Now, um,
0: you, you bring up Ken Palm, and I'm looking at Wichita State's Ken Palm page right now, and there is a whole lot of green on there. I mean, yep. uh, under offense and defense, and their efficiency uh, ratings that Ken Palm gives out, I mean, they are among the best in the country, pretty much up and down. It is that. How does that factor in? I mean, I know there are some... Um, members who will look at RPI or look strictly at the resume. But, I mean, if, if Ken Palm is telling you that Wichita State is one of the best teams in the country, that has to
1: make an impact at least a little bit, right? You you would hope, but that's the thing. We don't really know for sure. And, you know, next year as they kind of move into, you know, improving their metrics, maybe we'll have a better idea. But, you know, honestly, I mean, that's kind of the question is it you know, Are they taking the 36 best available teams based on, you know, what they've done, their body of work, or the 36 best teams based on their performance? And if the 36 best teams based on performance, then Wichita State, you know, should be a shoe in But if it's going on, if you're going on the resume, that's where the problem comes in.
0: Uh,
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Now
0: if you want to take this even a step further, uh step outside of the Valley, you could look at some other teams that have that, that are in a similar situation where they don't have any bad losses. They won a whole lot of games, but they're not against very good teams. Uh, the team that comes to mind to me is Vermont and the, it It's silly to think that an America East team would even be in this conversation, but you look at Vermont, they are twenty four and five, no bad losses whatsoever. They don't have any good wins, but if they were to you know beat Albany and Stony Brook to end the season and go to the final in the America East tournament,
1: you have to at least think about them, don't you? Yeah, I think they get a look, but the problem is, is that when you actually go into the conference and you actually dig into the into their team sheet, you know their best conference win would be Albany at one forty six, and that's definitely not going to cut it. So, right, you know the great. This is why I think you know we have a lot of talk every year. You know you think about when, you know, you know Murray State has gone unbeaten in their conference and Belmont's gone unbeaten, and they end up getting you know knocked off in the conference championship game. You know maybe you know, rewarding those teams that are actually able to go 16-0, 18-0 through a conference schedule, which, you know, everybody realizes is a near-impossible task to do, you know, maybe we kind of need to kind of think about that in the future, maybe reserving some tournament spots for those squads, you know, especially in the year of this year when you're going to have a, where you're not going to be rewarding excellence in those 36 at-large bids because there's so much mediocrity in the power conference teams who are attracting all the attention.
0: All right. Uh so so then let's say on Vermont,
1: uh, for
0: a second. Let's say they do end up winning uh the America East and they end up in the tournament. How how do you seed a team like that? I mean, obviously they're gonna be better than say, you know, the a twelve lock team coming out of the Southland or something like that, but it they, they have to be somewhat hard to place simply because they don't have that that resume they don't have the wins that you would use to place them you know above or below other teams
1: well one thing the committee i've noticed over over the recent years has, has done is they've awarded championships and a team like vermont that's in position to win their conference regular season and tournament double would be in great position you know right now i have them as a 14 but you know depending on how things break out over you know championship week and, you know, if they can end up getting both those titles, they could be a team that ends up being a 13 or a 12, depending on, you know, just what other carnage happens, you know, nationally. Because you think about last year, you know, and how many auto bids did the NIT end up having because so many one seeds ended up losing in their tournament. You know, if Vermont can – a team like Vermont can escape that kind of carnage in a, in a season like that, you know, they would be in good position to kind of get at least a line higher than you would normally expect them in, and and really – those bottom four lines of the bracket are kind of difficult to judge for that reason. You kind of have to really wait to see how all those post events play out. All right. Uh, Chris, I, th- I think you had a
2: question. Uh, yeah. Uh, other Chris. Um, when you're looking oh, at, yeah. like <laughs> in this example, like a middle Tennessee, they think they're 24 and five or 24 or Mm -hmm. something like that. Not a whole lot of bad losses, not any real great wins. They got road wins at Belmont, Mississippi. Does the committee weigh um, recency bias in terms of kind of thinking, you know, we put uh, Middle Tennessee in last year. They upset Michigan State. Does that carry any weight uh, moving forward in terms of their
1: prospects this year if they don't get the automatic bid? It's not supposed to, but, you know, when you consider the kind of roster that they brought back from that team that beat Michigan State, I think it is going to end up playing in the committee members' minds. And when you actually look at what they have on their profile, you know, it's very similar to the Middle Tennessee team of a couple years ago that ended up getting a first four spot, you know, out of the Sun Belt, you know, very similar to that Iona team that got a surprise at large, you know, going into the first four again. So I think that if they end up losing the conference USA tournament somewhere down the line, maybe in the semifinal or in the final, they could end up in a very similar position because, you know, they still got relatively decent wins. They're gonna you know, and UNC Wilmington and Belmont are two teams right there that they're gonna be cheering for because then at least they know that if both those teams win their conference tournaments, they're gonna have two absolute great, you know, wins over teams that are guaranteed to be in the field. So at this point, you know, kind of given given what else is going on around nationally, I think that Middle Tennessee is probably, of the teams that are kind of in that mid-major conference leader, conference regular season champion group, they're probably in the best position to kind of steal a bit.
0: Yeah. Um, actually, about that, about Middle Tennessee, if, if you look at their resume, I, I think we would all agree that, the win at Belmont and the win over Wilmington are both really, really good wins, but they're not brand names. A casual basketball fan might not look at a win against Belmont as something to really point to when you're making your case. I I know it shouldn't come into play, uh, but does it at all? The fact that, you know, yeah, it's it's Belmont and it's not, you know, a, a power five school.
1: Yeah, that, that does come into play a little bit, but then you kind of think back and, again, I bring up those, you know, two examples. You know, Iona in 2012, the one thing that kind of differentiates them from this Middle Tennessee State team is that they actually did get a brand name win over Maryland, but that's a Maryland team that was nowhere near actually, you know, making the tournament. So, you know, in the Middle Tennessee, you, you go back and look at their at their schedule in 2013, when they got an 11 seed and got in the first four, it's very similar. You know, they played, you know, they lost the game at Florida that I happened to get to see, you know, they lost to Belmont that year, you know, their best non-conference one was against an Ole Miss team, you know, that also ended up, you know, being in the NCAA and being placed in that first four group as well. So actually, they actually didn't get in the first four. They actually got a buy into the next round, but you know, they were in that same group. So, they didn't really have those non-conference marquee wins either. So so I wouldn't really get too hung up on the fact that Middle Tennessee's two best wins, you know, are over, are over Wilmington and Belmont. You know, if, if the people on the committee have been watching basketball all year, they're going to know those names, and, and they're going to give Middle Tennessee the proper credit. And that's that's what I hoped, uh, hoped to hear from you. Um,
0: we did have a couple of questions that came in. Uh, over the Twitters today Mm -hmm. that I I wanted to make sure we asked you. Um, And, of course, now I can't find them. Um, But there were a couple that were just about the logistics of putting the field together that I think would be good to touch on just for people who maybe don't follow this quite as closely uh, Mm -hmm. as some of us do. And one of those questions was how the committee – determines seeding for those first four teams. So we know that on the 16 line, the four what they perceive to be weakest teams in the field play, and they get the final 16 seeds in the regular bracket. But what about the four at-large teams? How are those determined?
1: Well, this is going to be a change this year, because what used to happen last year was the bottom four at-large teams selected – they got put wherever. So that group and typically ended up being those two matchups were played with the winners being seeded 11th. And occasionally you get a 12 seed. We've had a 13 seed in one case, and we even had that year Iona went. They were a 14 seed because they were paired against BYU. So they had to you know make all the bracket adjustments to get it so BYU wasn't playing on Sunday. So typically it ends up being 11th. What Happens this year is they're actually going to take those four final at large teams and they're going to go in and re rank them, as opposed because they get voted in, and then usually in the past those last four teams voted in they were stuck, they were there was no evaluation further evaluation done on them they were stuck and they were immediately put in to Dayton. What's going to happen now is those four teams are going to be compared with the four teams above them, and potentially if through another set of votes one of those four teams above that last four group voted in could potentially be dropped down into the first four. So they're actually going to do a little more evaluation, but in terms of placement, they're still going to probably end up being those four first four teams will again be an 11 or 12 seed playing a game to meet a six or a five on Thursday or Friday. Okay. I'm
0: glad I asked that because I didn't, I did not know that there was a change. Um, and we did have, somebody coming in and asking about Monmouth, you know, the famous question, what if my team wins out and then loses in the championship game? Curious what your thoughts are on what Monmouth's case would be. I know that loss to Ryder and then even at St. Peter's um, December 31st and January 2nd really hurts them if they wanted to have a case, but they also won at Memphis and they beat Princeton. Those are pretty two pretty good wins as well.
1: Yeah, Memphis is outside of the top 100 now, so it's not quite so good. And then Princeton's about to crack the top 50. But the problem for Monmouth is is if this year's Monmouth team had last year's Monmouth schedule and Monmouth results, they would be a shoo-in. It would, it would not be a point of debate. But, unfortunately, they didn't get themselves into the same type of non-conference tournament in November. They didn't play in the Advocare, you know, where they got the opportunity to play Notre mm-hmm. Dame and USC, you know, They end up playing around Robin where they had to go to South Carolina and go to Syracuse. And, you know, losing that game by a single point in South Carolina is really one that they really wish they had back. Um, You know, and of course, the the teams they also played in that event were South Carolina State and Holy Cross, who Holy Cross is barely in the top 200, and South Carolina State is 285th. So the chances are not all that good this year for the Hawks, long story short. Yeah, I, I I figured that would be.
0: The case, but uh, Mark, one of our loyal readers, really wanted to know, so I figured I'd ask you. <laughs> um, never hurts to ask. I, I, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think the lesson to take out of that is, if you're nervous about your team win your conference tournament, you don't have anything to worry about.
1: Yeah, this Mammoth team seems like they're on a mission too. I think they're they last year stung, and I think that they're going to make things right in Albany this year. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. Um, I, I think the, the last
0: team I want to touch on is Rhode Island because you have them in your next four out. It seems like I, I've been ready to say, all right, that's it for Rhode Island and their chances for a few weeks now. And then they always come back and deliver a good win to kind of get my hopes back up, and they did that. Actually, they've won two road games in a row at George Mason, and that was out. Um, neither are great teams, but they're not bad either. Um, just wondering what you think they have to do in order to get in.
1: Well, they have to defend their home court on Saturday night, on Saturday against VCU. That's the big thing right there because they've had a major issue, you know, of these bubble teams. Them and Kansas State have been the two teams that have really kind of struggled in terms of winning at home. As you know, they've dropped three Atlantic 10 home games already which, you know, for a team that, you know, came into the year as, you know, a favorite to win the league, you know, with with the most hype, top 25, you know, ranking and votes, you know, they had the best non-conference win in beating Cincinnati in Uncasville during the Hall of Fame tip-off. You know, they have to defend their home court. They have to take care of VCU on Saturday. And and honestly, at that point, that would be the type of win when I talk about how small the margin is between the cut line and, you know, being eight or ten spots out. That's the type of win that could, you know, vault Rhode Island right, you know, back into the field. So, you know, especially with the way VCU has been playing lately. So, honestly, I think they really need to, you know, finish up strong, get to 21 wins, you know, in the regular season by going three zero the rest of the way, and then don't slip up in, in Pittsburgh because the A10 tournament is always a mess. And I think this year, that's I think the surest way for the A10 to get another bid is for some surprise team to really, you know, make a run and maybe make it to Sunday. And and I think that that's probably the best way to do it. But if you or I can just keep winning, then they can kind of avoid that.
0: Right. And actually there there was one more thing um, that I wanted to ask, because there's a lot of talk this year about teams in power conferences that are finishing – below 500 in their league, mm-hmm. even by a couple of games and that still might be able to get in. How do you compare, say, a Clemson, which is a game above 500, with a team yeah. like Rhode Island? Uh, it, it just seems so hard, it's hard to do because their schedules are so
1: different. Exactly, and, and that's, the, that's where the RPI, as much as we derive the RPI, comes in handy because it breaks down you're able to break down, you know, who a team has played in each category. And honestly, when you kind of look at Rhode Island and you look at Clemson, you know, Rhode Island, sure, they've only played, you know, four games against the top 50 and they've played, let's see, they've played, you know, 10 games against the top 100. But, you know, this is a team that you add in the the VCU game, you know, they could potentially have a far better record percentage-wise against the top 50 and the top 100, then Clemson will have. And, you know, that's the dangerous thing about, you know, when you're in a power conference is that you get all these opportunities to play these you know, these top 15, top 100 teams. But if you don't take advantage of them, you know, the committee gets their team sheet up and they see all these red splotches running down the list. So they realize that, hey, this team had a ton of chances, didn't really take advantage of them, let's move on to something else. When you see a team like Rhode Island, the team didn't have as many chances, but you know they they actually did take care of a couple. And hey, they you know won a game on a neutral floor over Cincinnati. They you know you know beat VCU late. They they finished strong. That's kind of where you get the differences by digging deeper into the numbers. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense.
0: Uh, listen, th- thank you so much uh, for coming on. I think you helped us out a lot in trying to dissect all of this. I'm gonna assume you helped the uh, six listeners that we have um, as well. So thanks a lot for coming on, Chris.
1: <laughs> thanks for having me guys.
0: Of course, that was uh, Chris Doberting, the SB Nation resident bracketologist. Keep up with all of his projections on SBNation.com and blogging the bracket.com. He will continue to update his bracket as Selection Sunday approaches. Um, so, Greg, uh, Chris, S, after listening to all of that, just curious what your initial takeaways are.
3: Cool. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, it's not um, certainly what we expected. I mean, we knew this was not going to be, A friendly year for mid majors, but you know a lot of that is because there just aren't the resumes out there. Um, And I think he kind of um, hammered that point home as he as he talked about uh, 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 Monmouth from last year. Um, That sort of resume just does not exist with you know I think any mid major this year. I mean, as we as we we talked about or as he mentioned, Illinois State and Wichita State um, probably two of the stronger at-large, uh, you know, uh, possibilities only have one top 51 and it's against each other. Um, so, you know, I think it's kind of just, it, the strength is not out there this year. So. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I agree with that, but I would also say that e- even if the strength isn't out there, if the opportunities might be for some teams like Rhode Island, uh, Coming down the stretch, or even a, a Richmond who, you know, the, their record's not great, but they got some really good wins on their schedule and not, well, they have one really bad loss to Oral Roberts, but they will have opportunities as well headed down the stretch in the A 10 tournament. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think we're going to see a lot of at large bids, obviously, for mid majors, but I think there is the opportunity for. One or two that we don't expect uh, to come in and steal one. Chris, I realize I, I think I cut you off. Uh, did you have something to add?
2: No, I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying. That the opportunities aren't there. I'll be interested to see how that kind of affects uh, these schools moving forward. Like you see, like a Monmouth or a Middle Tennessee who doesn't have a whole lot of beef in their non-conference schedule. I wonder if that's something we might see moving forward that uh, coaches might try to add one or two power five uh, games each year to kind of beef up that, that resume to kind of avoid a situation where they're on the bubble from selection Sunday.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that you, Bring that up. I actually wanted to write something about this earlier this week. I just never got around to it. But doing that is so much easier said than done because mm-hmm. if you are a really good mid major team, power five schools aren't no gonna want to play, play you. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um and then even if you do end up scheduling um a couple of power fives or, you know, another really strong mid major, you're you're making these schedules over the summer, sometimes even before that, and teams might not end up being as good as you thought they would be. So what might what you might think is a good win in November might end up not being. So it's, it's so much easier said than done to, you know, come up with a great schedule. And then, of course, once those games come around, you have to actually win them.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. And just as you, you know, as you say that, but, a game that pops in my head most is, you know, for a, for a Wichita State is an Oklahoma game um, they played exactly. this year. Yeah, which if that game had happened last year, that's huge. And if they win, you know, in OKC, um, that's huge. And we're probably not having a discussion about them at all, but just, you know, things kind of, you know, Oklahoma lost some guys and just ha- hasn't worked out this year. And that's just kind of how it goes. Right. Um.
0: So we have really a conferences. A lot of the smaller conferences are finishing their regular seasons um, on Saturday or Sunday. So conference tournament play um, is coming up. If you're interested in such fun things, the first send it in. Jerome email went out today. The annual contest to pick. Uh, conference tournament winners and in, in the spirit of doing that i thought it would be fun if we just went through a couple of conferences here um with regular season races still up for grabs don't not quite a tournament time yet but regular season and see if we could get your thoughts on some of those and we're going to start um in the america east where vermont has a chance to lock that conference up tonight with the win over Albany. Um, Greg, I know you've covered Vermont pretty extensively. Do you see them winning winning out these last two games of the regular season and then sweeping through the America East tournament?
3: You know, I think so. Um, one thing is I wrote about them last week that kind of um, stood out, and I asked Coach Becker about this, um, was, you know, they score the vast majority of their points in the paint. Um, you know, um, on their, uh, their uh, Ken Palm page here, they have the 10th best uh, two-point field goal percentage in the nation. So, you know, they defend well. They have, uh, especially with Anthony Lamb now, you know, the most, you know, I don't know if uh, uh, dominating is the right word, but, you know, he, he's important. A, large, a guy who plays large in a conference that does not have a lot of height or skill down low. So I think they're a team that um, can be consistent, um, that I think is kind of as resistant as one can be against kind of a letdown at this, at this uh, point in the year. So I think they have a great chance, obviously. Who knows what's going to happen? But, um, again, I think they've got that identity where they can be consistent and, and, and not fall apart at this point. Yeah, um,
0: Chris, I'll ask you about the Summit League because that's your area uh, of expertise. North Dakota State and South Dakota are both ten and four in the conference. Who do you see emerging from that one?
2: Oh, that's such a hard choice because both of them are going on the road for both of their games this week. I know uh, I'll get to see South Dakota here on. Uh, here in Indy on Saturday when they take on IUPUI. I haven't got a chance to see them yet. They also have a game against uh, Western Illinois on Thursday, which in theory they should win, but you never know with the way the Summer League's been going this year. The teams kind of beat up on each other. I'd probably give them the upper hand um, over North Dakota State just because I don't think North Dakota State's been playing all that well lately. and They have two road games, and that game against uh, – Nebraska-Omaha might be kind of tough for Nebraska-Omaha plays a pretty in-your-face, up-and-down style, which isn't really North Dakota State's game. But I don't know. Honestly, you might you might just come down to flip a coin because I really I don't know which one of those to expect because, like I said, the whole league's just been beating up on each other all season. Uh, speaking of which, I think
0: another – league that you could point to that's been doing that is the Mountain West. You have uh, Colorado mm-hmm. State 11-4, and four, Nevada and Boise State are both 10-4 right behind them. I honestly I can't even begin to try to figure out who's going to come out of there. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but can we all agree that that's probably a one-bid league again this year?
3: Yeah, oh, yeah Probably. Yeah, and that's you know I had noticed in in Chris's latest bracket he had Nevada um, as the lone squad from the Mountain West and they were at 12th seed, which is kind of is you know certainly a down year for the league, but that's not a good league. That's not a good look for the Mountain West at all. I mean, it's hard to imagine if, right. you know if if you would have told me a few years ago that that's what the league would be, I'd be I would not have believed you. Yeah,
0: but but also though being. To 12th seed, that's kind of approaching bubbly territory if mm-hmm. Nevada does slip up in the Mountain West tournament. And I mean, I'm looking at their resume. That loss at Utah State doesn't look very good. Getting swept by Fresno State doesn't look very good. It's, I think it's going to be tough for them regardless. Wind over Iona and Oakland and New Mexico twice, I guess, are okay. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I think it's going to be tough. And, oh, look, they're another example of scheduling teams, and the teams end up being kind of crap, um, like Oregon State, who they crushed sure. in November, and Washington, who <laughs> they beat
3: uh, in mid-December. They do have that Oakland win, so that should put them over the top, if, it, if that's what it comes to. Okay, that's a- <laughs> Yeah, it's very good. Pander to Oakland fans. Oakland's <laughs> hot right now. Yeah.
0: No. you know what? It's, 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 it's a, the horizon's a weird league. I I think this year especially because it, it seems like, with the exception of Valpo, or even Valpo at times, nobody seems to want to win this conference. Uh, every time no. they get on a roll, they slip up against the bad team um- G- Green Bay it looked like would be pretty good. then they lose back to back to Northern Kentucky and Wright state uh Oakland had that awful stretch where they lost four out of five uh Valpo's been okay, but they got swept by oakland um and lost to Green Bay, and those are the teams that are right behind them so it's 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 a tough league to kind of try to handicap right now, certainly a one-bid league. I, there's just not the quality there to really make any sort of argument beyond that. Um, but I, it's, it's hard to predict who's going to win that conference tournament uh, in a couple of weeks.
3: Yeah, that's certainly one where there are four or five teams that I, I would not be surprised if they won. Yeah,
0: my, my, my rule of thumb tends, tends to be, if you're in a situation where you don't know who to pick and there are a lot of kind of 50-50 games, pick the team with the best player. And with that, I would mm-hmm. make Valparaiso and
3: Alex Peters.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. That's a good wild card to have, absolutely. Yeah. And
0: now, of course, watch like UIC come out of nowhere and win it or something. Like <laughs>
3: So, and then okay. actually to be fair to the Mountain West, I do see that uh, Chris had uh, Boise State um at least around uh, he has them as a departure uh for this week. So I'm okay. assuming that he either um had them in the field oh well, I don't I'm I'm assuming he had them in his um first four out last uh week or or in I I wouldn't say in the you know, first four out uh, next four out. So um at least you know there's another uh, team that's on the fringes. They're in the Mountain West to, you know, all respect to the Mountain West.
0: Yeah. Um, so you, you look at Boise, they have a really good win against FMU back in November, and that's one that I think is looking a lot better now than sure. maybe they even thought it would. Um, and it, it helps that they're kind of getting hot at the right time. They've won five out of six. If they can win at Nevada, they're at Nevada tonight. If they can win there, I think they might be in a position um, where you could really start considering them. But, I mean, I, I think my big takeaway from this entire thing is w- win your conference tournament because that's the only yeah. way you could really be sure that you're getting in.
3: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Um, so, Chris, did you have trivia for us?
2: Yeah, it's not a very good one. I don't even know if it's really worth asking, to be honest.
3: Oh, hey, then, smoke them if you uh, got them. Yeah. What was that? Smoke them if you got them. Shooting uh, your chat.
2: <laughs> Clever. All right, so since it's coming up on the tournament, I thought it would be interesting to see which mid-major schools have the longest uh, active streak of making the conference turn or not. They all make conference tournament for the most part. Um, Longest streak of making the NCAA tournament. Um, the longest one out of mid-majors, obviously, is Gonzaga, 18 years straight and about to be 19. Can you guys name the rest of the top five for mid-majors in terms of most consecutive uh, appearances? I think, are, I think you're are talking, you talking active. I think... What?
3: Uh,
2: active streaks? Yeah, active streaks.
3: Yeah. Okay. I think you're selling yourself short, Chris, because that's a very good question. Yeah, well, okay. I mean, they, I
2: think
3: might find, they, they might find it interesting. Makes sense. Okay, Russ, you want to work together on this? Yeah, uh, I'll start with Delmont. That's that, well, you you, you shot my shot there because that was what I was going to say. Yeah, I that, that completely agree. Delmont is not one of them.
0: V- VCU.
3: VCU. Yep, VCU is one. Wichita. Uh, yep, Wichita. Dayton's at has to be at about three right now, right? That might be. Yep, Dayton's at three.
0: Okay. All right. One more. All right. Uh, the Wichita, the they VCU.
3: Uh. I would have said New Mexico State, but they didn't make it last year. I know they had a few oh, there in a row. Is it
0: Northern Iowa?
2: It is not Northern Iowa. They're only at two years in a row. There's one team with three. One team with three, okay. Um, is that BYU? Not BYU. Oh.
0: oh, it's not BYU. Okay.
2: Mm. Um, hmm. Boise State? Nope. To that. Um, Colorado State. Not Colorado State. Yeah, I want a hint. I'll give you a they had a particular player that became kind of America's darling last year in the tournament.
3: Stephen F. Austin. Correct.
2: Stephen F. Austin oh. made three consecutive tournaments. Nice.
0: Oh, I was at those games. I wrote about Thomas Walkoff. I should have known that. Yeah, I was right there, Russ. So it, right, it was right there for you. Oh. But now in, in hindsight, um, Starting with Belmont was dumb because I, I wasn't taking into consideration teams that get at largest, like Wichita State would or uh, Boozing Wood. Um,
3: so, I think yeah, we probably got, I think we both probably got swayed by Rick Bird being on the, uh, uh, handing all those uh, shout outs for the uh, Mount uh, Rushmore of uh, Mid Major Coaches <laughs> yeah, on Monday.
0: That, that definitely had something to do with it. Yeah. Um, I think uh, my next guess would have been Davidson. I wonder where they are. Um, on the list. Oh, they didn't make it last year. They went to the NIT. So never
2: mind. Yeah, there's – you look at the list, there's only five teams in uh, all college basketball that have streaks of ten or longer. Uh, after that, it drops off to a bunch of teams with all right. uh, six sure. and three. And...
0: So ten or longer – Go Gonzaga, Kansas, Duke, uh, North Carolina.
2: Nope. North Carolina is only at six years in a row.
0: Oh, they had that. Yeah. How many teams did you say there were?
2: Uh, five total teams with streaks of ten or longer. You got Gonzaga, Kansas, and Duke so far. Uh, Louisville.
0: Ooh. Nope. Oh, they had the. Because they had the last year. Band, yeah. They have the band. Um, Michigan State. I about that.
2: Michigan yep, State. Michigan State's one. one. they the third oh longest. It's 19. Wisconsin? Yep, Wisconsin. Oh, that's a good gap. Yeah, best
3: mm. Texas. Bo
0: best
2: Texas. Yeah.
0: Mm. Bo Ryan, Greg Dart, yeah.
3: Silent Assassin. How long was, was a that Texas, uh, streak when it ended? Because I know they had a long one, right? Did they? Longhorns? Nope. Uh, and Texas? It they, oh
2: so they had, a, uh, oh. They had a streak from 2006 to 2009. Wait, no, that's... Yeah, they had 14 years from
3: 1999 wow. to that's 2002. Right. And then 2013 was the one that ended that. Okay. I don't think we are like it this year. No, no, no,
0: no. Never have let Rick Barnes
3: go, huh? silence <laughs> hey Rick Barnes makes me angry as a zoo fan because that would, it would say what you will about him I would be very happy if he was coaching the zoo, not against Mizzou so oh, I don't like looking Mizzou. at all these
0: I
2: mean yeah yeah I don't want to get into it right now but no no <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. maybe another time there we'll... all
0: right Um, So, tonight, we've got a pretty loaded uh, slate of games, both on the uh, mid-major and power conference worlds, big night in the Patriot League. Um, That conference can be settled tonight, actually, because BU, I'm sorry, Bucknell, has a two-game lead. In that conference, if they win tonight, they clinch that league outright, I believe. Uh, Vermont can do the same if they beat Albany. Um, And then it's interesting in the SoCon as well, when Furman plays ETSU, um, because those are the top two teams in that conference. Furman has a half-game lead with only two to play, so if Furman wins that, they can quench a share of that conference. So a lot going on tonight. So with that, I guess we'll leave you. Uh, any final thoughts, guys? I, I think Neva- March.
3: is that Nevada Boise game uh, tonight as well. Is that is that? Uh, did we talk about that? Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that'll be interesting yeah. to see what happens there.
0: Yeah, definitely. That'll be a good game.
2: Um, when do you say this is March? I said one step closer to this is March.
0: Yeah. Okay, this is almost March. And with that, for uh, Chris and Greg, I am Russ. Thank you so much for sticking around with us and listening. We will be back soon because a lot's going to start happening really, really fast. um, And we'll want to talk about it all. So thank you so much. And until then, um, enjoy. Enjoy the basketball.